Welcome to JGUA Financial Commentary Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Barron, and our topic today in this month of December 2020 is charitable gifting. But first, a quick disclosure. The contents of this podcast are strictly for informational purposes only, and nothing said shall be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. Any strategies discussed may not be suitable for the listener specifically, and JGUA encourages consulting with your advisor before implementing any strategies to ensure that they meet your individual objectives. I'd like to welcome Senior Advisor Amanda Herrick-Smith. Welcome, Amanda. Hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for having me join today. Could you give us a little bit of background with yourself and the firm? I've been with the firm for 14 years. I am a senior advisor. I help our clients with education planning, do taxes and tax preparation, tax planning, estate planning, um, a lot of the different areas of financial planning, since I am a certified financial planner. I just wanted to give what I thought were some interesting stats around charitable giving. In 2019, this was just Americans, didn't look at the worldwide stats, but Americans gave $449 billion. I thought the breakdown was actually the most interesting part of that, although that is a huge number. It's nearly half a trillion, which is nothing to sneeze at. But the breakdown of it, I thought was more interesting. The breakdown goes $21 billion from corporations, $75 billion from foundations, and the huge lion's share portion, $309 billion, is just from individuals like you and me, which is a little telling, especially the corporations being the small part. And then one of the largest is the famous Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which has over $50 billion. <laughs> That's what nearly a ninth of the annual giving from last year. So with that, why don't we start with the most common, your regular cash donations. Uh, why don't you yes. talk a little bit about the process and maybe the tax benefits? So cash donations, as you mentioned, Andrew, is the most common way that people gift to a charity. So often we'll send a check to our favorite charity. Maybe we get a mailing or we see something we want to support and go online and make a donation with either a debit card or credit card is the most common way that people give to charities. And as far as the tax side of things, if people are, are able to itemize their deductions, they may be able to get a, an additional benefit for donating to a charity. Now, there is some limitations. You can only donate up to 60% of your adjusted gross income in a typical year. Now, this is not a typical year for us, so we're actually able to donate up to 100% of your adjusted gross income due to the CARES Act. What that means, if someone makes $50,000 for the year, they can actually donate up to 100% of what they make or 100% of the $50,000. Now, there's another key. If the donation is going to a private foundation, there is a limitation of 30% of one's adjusted gross income is what they could donate and receive a tax benefit. Also, new this year is the $300 above the line tax donation. What that means is someone is unable to itemize their deductions. Maybe the standard deduction is higher since you get to take the higher of the two. For just this year, they could donate up to $300 in the form of a cash donation and be able to offset $300 of their income. The reason that might be important, I feel like, especially for this year, is 
few years ago, you could write it off on your taxes. But since they raised the standard deduction, we're seeing less people qualify to actually see the tax benefit making those charitable donations. So it is nice to see $300 top of line does add up to a little bit of benefit. Yeah, especially for the charities, because with the pandemic, a lot of them are hurting. So every little bit that can help them as well as help our own clients and be able to take that tax deduction, that's fantastic. And then I guess the one thing I did want to touch on on the charities is it's very important to check the status of the charity. Just because you give money to an organization does not mean it is a charitable gift. So always be sure it is a qualified charity. Yes, agree. Another thing I think we see quite a bit of is if you happen to donate to a fundraiser or a dinner, you don't get the whole donation. And oftentimes, if they give you a receipt, you will see that there's the total cost and then there's the charitable amount that you can actually use. Yes, and good point, Andrew. So you must have supporting documentation in order to be able to itemize your donation. If you make a charitable donation of more than $250, you really need to have a receipt for that donation made. So most often charities will actually send a letter in the mail or maybe send you an email as appreciation of your gift and also for a receipt for your income taxes. When they give you that little piece of paper, make sure you put it somewhere safe and don't just shove it under the seat. Exactly. Uh, I did want to touch on the next interesting strategy, which is gifting appreciates stock. It's important you know, as an investment advisor that we touch on this subject because we see quite a bit of it. Kind of walk the audience through appreciate stock, meaning that you've held it for a long time. This probably works, strategy works best if you've had something for 10 years and you've really seen a big rise in the bull market over the last decade. What are the advantages of using stock to give versus just making a cash contribution after selling the stock? Yes. So appreciated stock can benefit a lot of different people, especially those that have purchased stock maybe a long time ago. Maybe they were gifted stock from a family member and it's grown and appreciated over time. How the strategy works and it would it only works if the stock is in like a taxable account, such as like an individual account or a joint account. If it's in a retirement account, this strategy doesn't work in this case. So what someone would do is if they have a stock, we'll call it XYZ stock, that's a hundred shares of XYZ, and it's grown from five thousand dollars when it first started, let's say 20 years ago, and now it's worth twenty thousand dollars. So there's that huge appreciation from 5,000 to 20,000. It's, you know, $15,000 gain. And the individual wants to donate maybe some or all of the stock to a charity. So they would um, fill out what's called a letter of authorization um, to gift the stock to the charity, submit it to their broker, and the broker would receive this request. And the broker would act on it and actually send the shares of stock directly to the charity. So why is this important? You know, why would we want to go this route? Well, it's because the the charity can then take the stock and sell it. They pay practically zero income taxes. So they don't have to pay tax on that $15,000 gain. Now let's say Andrew, if you and I had that stock and we wanted to gift it ourselves to the charity, we would have to pay probably if it's long-term stock, around 15% federal tax. And if we're in New York, let's say, maybe we're in that 
5% tax bracket for New York. So you're looking at maybe 20 to 21% of just income taxes. We're paying on that $15,000 gain. And then if we turn around and then take the cash and do a cash donation, the charity is losing out on the opportunity of that tax that was paid to the Internal Revenue Service or the estate tax system. So it's a good win-win for both the individual and the charity. It's another win for the individual because not only do they not have to pay tax on the gain, if they are able to itemize their income tax deduction, they're able to take that market value and able to put that as an itemized deduction on their income tax return. So it could help to further reduce income tax and not have to pay as much tax. So that's substantial. I know we've gone back and forth between standard deduction, itemized taxes, which leads us a new optimal strategy for gifting. Sometimes you'll see it as bunching or lumpy or grouping, but some form of gathering a group in one year of charitable donations. I've actually seen people at the firm where because of the high standard deduction thresholds that we see today, you have to hit a big hurdle to actually see the benefit. So for some people, if you do three, four years in one year, at least as currently written, you might see a bigger tax benefit than making level similar amounts year over year. Anything to add to that? Yes, Andrew, that's a fantastic strategy. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I was working with one of our clients and that specific strategy actually came up in our conversation. The reason why the lumping is what we call it works so well, and that's lumping, uh, sometimes it's real estate taxes, but most often it's charitable donations. And how that would work is our client would make a charitable contribution maybe in January, and then that same year, they make that charitable contribution in also December. And so it's taking pretty much two charitable contribution years in pooling it all in one year. Because of the recent tax law changes in 2018, the standard deduction practically doubled. So for simplicity, for a single person, you know, it went from $6,000 to $12,000. Because an individual gets to take the higher of the two, in order to get to that $12,000, for most people include real estate taxes, including state taxes paid, and that's subject to a, a cap of 10,000 and also any charitable donations and mortgage and trust. Those are usually the three common ones we see. So this doubling of the charitable contributions every other year helps to push that individual up and over the standard, taking a benefit, um, anything in, in addition to that standard deduction. So if, for example, if someone had made charitable contributions so that their itemized deductions are $20,000 instead of the standard deduction, they get that additional benefit. And the benefit in lies with it helps offset income, therefore paying less income tax. And so the following year, since they already pooled both of their contributions in one year, they would just take the standard deduction the following year. So every other year, they would be taking the itemized deduction and every other year, the standard deduction instead of just the standard deduction every year. I think that was a very comprehensive summary. Thank you. I did want to touch on something we are seeing more and more of, which is donor advised funds. Amanda, can you talk us through that a little bit? I know there's some technical parts though. Yes. 
So a donor advised fund is a way that an individual can donate to their favorite cause, to a, their favorite charity, and be able to take the tax donation for the full amount that's donated into this fund. But the key is they don't necessarily have to take the entire fund and gift it out this year, unlike a cash donation, where in order to get a tax benefit, you have to actually donate the cash. For example, let's say someone has $50,000 that they'd like to donate or put into this donor advised fund, they can receive the $50,000 income tax deduction this year. However, they can pick and choose which charity to take the fund and donate it to over a period of time. Maybe they want to donate $10,000 over the next five years or so forth. And the reason why this could be beneficial this year is since people are able to take 100% of their adjusted gross income is a limitation to their charitable donations, it's a higher threshold other than instead of the 60% limitation this year of adjusted gross income, it's a 100% limitation for adjusted gross income. There is a difference between the standard deduction and the and itemizing deductions. There was less benefit in the recent change. Another thing what we are seeing is what we call in the firm lumpy charitable gifting, where you take a group and you could kind of combine the strategies we've talked about, where you could take a large amount of highly appreciated stock and gift that to a donor advised fund. And you could do that every three to five years versus every year. And you could see a substantial tax benefit to that. And the reason why that'd be such a great tax planning opportunity to either you know, double up on the contributions two times a year. Maybe a client donates in January and they also donate in December. I'm doing that donor advice fund donation, a multiple throughout, you know, five-year period or, or whatnot, is they get the benefit of itemizing in those years that the contribution is made. In the years that the contribution is not made to the charity, they would take the standard deduction. And the reason why people do that these days is, because of the changes in 2018 to the standard deduction, it practically doubled. So a lot less people are able to itemize their deductions. So by doing the, the lumpy strategy where you, you know, donate to the, your charity uh, twice in one year or donate to a donor advice fund, it helps in being able to benefit every other year in itemizing your deductions in that example and then taking the standard deductions on those off years. The next strategy I want to touch on has some restrictions around it. It's kind of reserved only for our senior clients. Qualified charitable distributions. Kind of walk us through the restrictions and the benefits surrounding that. So a qualified charitable distribution is where an individual that is 70 and a half takes part of their IRA and donates it directly to their charity. The reason why they would want to do this is it's one opportunity where they can actually do a distribution from their IRA without having to pay income taxes. Because when someone takes a withdrawal from their IRA, it's subject to the marginal tax rates, which is the same as how wage income is taxed. So it's subject to those tax brackets that we hear often about. With those that are 72, because the law changed, they're required to take a minimum amount out of their IRA every year. 
And if they don't, then they're subject to a 50% penalty. So the reason why some of our clients are looking at doing qualified charitable distributions is it helps reduce their income. For example, if they decided they want to do a $5,000 qualified charitable distribution from their IRA, their income, their taxable income is then reduced by $5,000. So it's an automatic off the top reduction in their income. Therefore, they're not paying tax on that income. They're in a situation where they're unable to itemize their deductions. They're taking the standard deduction. Doing the QCDs could be very helpful. Another thing is there is an additional Medicare Part B, which is the hospital component of Medicare, and also Medicare Part D, which is the prescription component of Medicare, where a portion of it's called an excess premium amount is subject to one's adjusted gross income. So maybe they're in that point where they're idling on falling into the tier of having to pay that excess because their income went over their, that level, or maybe they're pushed into multiple you know, different tiers where their premium amount is going to go up. By doing a qualified charitable distribution, they're able to reduce their income and hopefully either reduce or eliminate the excess premium amount, which is also called IRMA. So most often people hear the term IRMA. And that's double A, I-R-M-A-A. Yes. We see lots of acronyms. We certainly do in this financial field, don't we? We got RMDs, QCDs, <laughs> IRAs, all sorts of them. And I think it's important for listeners to think about that even though RMDs were suspended for 2020, QCDs are still fully valid up to the yeah. amount you could have taken. The only other thing is I think it's important to mention is while we were talking about acronyms, there's quite a few different retirement plans out there. And while some of them have IRA in the name, this strategy really only works for the traditional IRA. There are the simple and the SEP. It's important that those are excluded or inactive at least. Correct kind of surrounding in that line about IRAs would be naming a charity as the beneficiary. And I think this used to be less common because I think people used to want to provide money to their children with IRAs. But with the change in how you have to spend IRAs down over a 10-year period, et cetera, I think that naming a charity can be a big and useful strategy. Andrea definitely could. Let's say someone has an individual account and also an IRA, and they're looking at options of you know where they want to give to their favorite charity. Do they want to use you know their individual account maybe as a bequest in their will, you know when they demise, or do they want to list the beneficiary you know in their IRA? It's best for them to list the charity as a beneficiary of their IRA instead because it's one opportunity where that portion of the IRA could be sent directly to the charity and that charity would not have to pay income tax or very little income tax. Well, if that IRA was gifted to an individual, the individual would have to, when they inherit that asset, if it's a non-spouse beneficiary, they would have to withdraw from that account or at least that account would not be in existence within 10 years. They have to withdraw completely out of the account in a 10-year period. Mm -hmm. And all of that would be taxable to them. Thank you so much for joining, Amanda. 
could you give us a wrap or your closing thoughts on this? Well, I just want to give a little bit of a, a wrap up of everything we covered today. So we covered the cash donations, which is one of the most common ways for people to donate to their favorite cause. However, it's not always the best way from a tax standpoint. So maybe other opportunities could be donating a highly appreciated stock, maybe directly to a donor advice fund or setting up a donor advice fund. Or if they're 70 and a half, maybe looking at qualified charitable distributions, which go directly from an individual's IRA to a charity, reducing income taxes right off the top. And there's also so many other forms in different ways to be able to donate. It could be by adding the beneficiary on someone's IRA to a charity, maybe doing a charitable remainder trust. There's you know, different forms of estate bequests that could be drawn up right in one's will, private foundation, or even a family foundation. I work with one of my clients that actually has a private family foundation. Community foundations are also other great ways doing in-kind donations, just like we talked about today with the stock and in-kind, meaning if the item is donated as it is today. So if it's a stock in-kind donation, it'd be donated to the charity in the form of stock. For my own college, people donate equipment to the college. So that's another form of an in-kind donation that's tax deductible. So there's so many different ways to be able to give to a charity and it's so important to work with uh, professionals to be able to help identify the best ways to give and you know if anyone ever has any questions you know feel free to reach out to myself amanda herrick smith at john allman and associates thank you so much amanda and thank you to our listeners for joining as well we know your time is valuable If you do have any further questions, please send an email to info at jgua.com or check out our website and our social media for additional content. Until our next podcast, everyone, stay smart.